0: week studying through the book of Colossians, and Paul has, Paul has spent time being both deeply theological, and now we've transitioned into a part of the book of Colossians where he's incredibly practical. And in, in this passage that we're going to look at today, Paul gives us some words of encouragement uh, for, for practices that, that Christians should stay focused on. He hits on a, a couple of different things, and I'm just going to sum it up really succinctly for you. Here's what Paul is saying today. Be the kind of person you'd want to be around. Be the kind of person you'd want to be around. And so the way, the way that we're going to, the title of this sermon is, we're just going to call it Christianity for Christians. And Paul's saying, if you're a Christian, this is what I want you to to know. So, this isn't an evangelistic message. This is a very practical message for somebody who has already proclaimed the name of Christ, confessed that they need him as a savior. And what Paul wants us to know is that we have to be the kind of person we'd want to be around. And I want to explain it to you. I want to, I want to start by illustrating it. I read a story recently about a couple in South Africa. And uh, it was about a man who proposed to his girlfriend in a KFC. Anybody else see this story this past week? Ron saw this story, but uh, it, it, it seems like it would be kind of a, a non-story. You know, it's just one of those things that happens. Maybe the couple has... Uh, unique history at KFC. They had their first date there or something like that. I I don't know what the backstory is. Maybe that's as nice of a restaurant as he could afford to take his girlfriend to. Any of these things are fine with me. And and my first thought is this would just be a a non-story. Why am I reading about this on the news? Well, it's because a very famous TV anchor in South Africa saw a picture of this, and here's what she wrote. She said, South African men are so broke, they even propose at KFC. They have absolutely no class. I mean, who proposes at KFC? And you'd think that would be where the story ends, right? You think that's where the story... First of all, I think KFC is tasty. I know we can't call it Kentucky Fried Chicken anymore. It's about not actually being chicken, whatever. I don't care. tastes good, okay? But I, I think... I'm I'm just still a little surprised that I'm reading about this story. You think maybe some people would laugh along, some people would nod their head in agreement, and that's just where the story dies, but that's not what happens. KFC ends up seeing what this television reporter says and says, hey, you know what? we want to we flip the script on this. Instead of being negative, we want to be positives. And so we are going to offer to cater the wedding for you guys. If you're interested in that, uh, let us know who you are, and we'd be happy to cater your wedding. And maybe that's where the story ends, right? Not so much. Woolworth's department store says, hey, congratulations on your engagement. Let us know who you are, and we have 15,000 rand. That's South African currency, of store credit for you guys to put whatever you need in your house. Is that where the story ends? It's not where the story ends at all. Coca-Cola gets in the act and says, hey, what goes better at a wedding than KFC and Coca-Cola? Let us provide the drinks. Then the, the top cell phone company in South Africa says, hey, you know, you guys probably need an unlimited cell phone plan free of charge for a year. That's on us. Then the largest jewelry store chain in South Africa gives the man a 45,000 rand engagement rings and matching bridal sets for the couple. Then a famous South African singer asks if they can play at the reception. Then another famous South African singer says, hey, can I perform a song at your wedding ceremony? Then the Standard Bank of South Africa agrees to take care of the bridal blessing. Then a brewery gives $5,000 to the couple to use however they need it. Then the the South African version of Best Buy gives them a home entertainment system for their home. Then Sony Movies of South Africa gives them free movie tickets and snack vouchers for a year so they can relax. Then a train company gives them a free luxury rail car to travel to South Africa for their honeymoon. And then a travel agency gives them five nights at a luxury resort for their honeymoon. Then Audi says, you know, you probably need a ride and a chauffeur for your honeymoon. So they get a car for their honeymoon. And the story keeps going on and on and on and on. And here's where we come in. That story gets played out every day all over the world. And somebody says something hurtful, and a handful of people laugh and nod, but then somebody steps in and helps and adds value to the situation. So church, I want to ask, which side of the story do you want to be on? Which side of the story do you want to be on? See, there are a whole lot of Christians that delight in pointing out the error of someone else's ways and not in pointing people towards the savior of the world so which side of the story do you want to be on here's my suggestion we'd be the kind of people we'd want to be around that we'd be the kind of people that we'd want to be around. Here's how Paul says it in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I spent time thinking about the people that I like being around. There's a lot of people that I like being around. And there's this one thing that I noticed that they all have in common, these people that I like being around. They don't make the conversations about them. All the people that I enjoy being around, all the people that I find interesting, they don't make the conversation about them. They find a way to engage someone else in the conversation. And I I thought about this. Luke is a master at this. Anybody else ever noticed that Luke is an absolute master at doing this? We were in the car together, Leah, Luke and I, we went to Chicago for a church conference a couple of weeks ago, and we were in the car and we just spent time talking. And we'd been talking for like over an hour before it finally dawned on me that, that Luke had been asking these really interesting questions for like an hour straight about our Christmas traditions as a family. And he wasn't doing it so he could tee himself up to tell this really great story that he has. No, he was just fascinated. He reminded me of something that Iris Abeville said about conversation. She said, If you're not interested, you can't be interesting. And I thought that was really great. Luke finds himself interested in the things that the people around him say, and he doesn't try to make the conversation about him. So as Paul starts off this text talking about prayer, here's some advice. Make sure the conversation isn't about you. Make sure the conversation isn't about you. So let's talk about prayer. Paul says, pray with an alert mind, pray with a, a thankful heart. What does it mean to pray with an alert mind? What are we, what are we being alert two. Well, give me some suggestions. Uh, Be alert to the, the needs of your family. Be alert to the needs of your church family. Be alert to the needs of your neighbors, to the will of God. Be alert to those needs. And make sure that the conversation isn't about you. See, because I can pray for my family, but I can do it in a way that reflects my desires and not their needs let me give you something that i'm not necessarily proud of but something that i've prayed i've prayed that that nap time would be just a little bit longer so i could sit and quietly watch tv instead of playing with my now sometimes i need for nap time to be a little longer okay i'm just being honest with you sometimes nap time needs to be longer but sometimes what i need to do is play with my kids Okay? Uh, I could pray that when Leah gets home, she'll be too tired to have the conversation that we need to have because we got to work through something serious and I don't feel like expending the mental energy to do it. And so I'll pray that she's too tired to have the conversation. And that's not good for my family. Or maybe, if I'm not careful, I could start to pray that my kids would fulfill my childhood dreams. And see, I'm not praying for my kids. I'm praying for my desires to be fulfilled through them. I'm preparing, I'm praying for my desires to be fulfilled through my wife. Make sure the conversation isn't about you. You know, this, this possibility exists within each of us. And not just in the way that we pray for our families, but in the way that we pray for the church, in the way that we pray for our neighbors in the way that we pray for our country, in the way that we pray for the will of God. And so I'm just saying, make sure the conversation isn't about you. Now, are there times when I have things that I need to pray about in my life? Absolutely, I call that being alive, right? Um, There are plenty of things that I need to pray about that are going on in my life things that I need help with, things that I can't do alone. And I pray about those things, but I make sure that I never let my prayer life become about me. I never let me take over my prayer life because I know how selfish I am. And if I get focused on me, I'll start praying for my family to do what I want and if I get focused on me, I'll start praying for my church to do what I want. And I'll stop praying for the will of God, and I'll start praying for the will of me. And so I have to make sure that the conversation isn't about me. I think that's good advice for you too. So that's my caution from personal experience. Don't make the conversation about you. And that's the first part. He says, pray with an alert mind. Here's a second. Pray with a thankful heart. If you look at your outline, you're going to see this question. By the way, if you're new here, maybe you don't know this yet, uh, we have a fill-in-the-blank sermon outline that's going to be in your bulletin. That's for you to take some notes, track with me. Also, keeps me accountable, make sure I don't get off track here. So if you're looking at your outline, you're going to see a question. You don't have time to do it justice right now, but I want you to revisit it. I want you to think about this question, and if you're in a group... Take it to your small group this week, and you'll have an opportunity to share your answer with your group. Here's the question. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And again, you don't have time to do that justice right now, so I'll start. I'll start. I had all week to think about what I'm thankful for, so let me get us started. I'm thankful for my wife. I am desperately thankful for my wife. She is intentionally looking down right now. She's going to be angry with me later, and I'm not going to be thankful for that, but I am so thankful. I'm so proud of my wife. Do you guys know that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this past week, uh, she wasn't here at church. She was over at Eastern, and let me tell you what she was doing over at Eastern. She was teaching a curriculum about puberty and sexual health to sixth graders. Now, I got to tell you, I communicate for a living. I'm pretty comfortable in this role. I I feel good about being up here. This is what God has called me to do. Very comfortable communicating in front of a room full of people. In that room, I am deeply uncomfortable. I don't know if I can do that. I'd be be sweating. I'd be stammering. I don't think I could do that. I'm so proud of my wife that she has the ability to go into these schools and communicate crucial truth to kids at the time in their life when they need it. I'm so grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my kids. I adore them. I love Atticus. I love Adeline. But but that's all low hanging fruit. You know, it's like okay, the preacher got up and said so he's grateful for his wife and kids. What else is new, right? Like, didn't need that. Like, duh. So you you get that. I, I'm grateful for my parents. I'm grateful for my spiritual mentors. I'm grateful for this church that took a chance on a kid. You didn't have any experience. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that my past doesn't define my future. I'm grateful that my sins have been forgiven. Most of all, I'm grateful for Jesus. And I know that some of you don't come from homes where you can be grateful for your parents. Some of your parents were really awful to you, and I'm so sorry for that. Some of you don't know who your parents were. I know some of you are struggling right now in your singleness, and you just want to find somebody. Some of you are married and you are agonizing as you battle with infertility. You just want to have a baby. And some of you are just in different places in your life where these list of things that I'm grateful for, you can't relate to those things on a personal level. But here's what I need you to know no matter who you are no matter what you've done no matter who you've hurt no matter who's hurt you or what you are struggling with right now jesus loves you exactly the way you are and you can be thankful for that you can be thankful for that And i don't know where you are in your faith but maybe you're maybe you're a little cynical Maybe life has been hard on you and you are a little cynical. I gotta tell you that that Jesus loves you isn't just a cute thing that preachers say. B.B. Warfield, he was a theologian. He passed away in 1921 and he was he was a a, a prolific writer, theologian. He wrote dozens and dozens and dozens of volumes on theology and church history and, and on his deathbed, he was asked, he said, uh, his interviewer said, of all the theological waters that you have tread, what's the most profound truth you have ever learned? And he looked up with a faint smile, and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And there are a million reasons why that's the most profound truth you can ever hear, but I want to give you one this morning. I'm going to give you one. There's, there's this great lie that Satan is telling in our world. There's this great lie that Satan is telling in our culture, that Satan is telling Christians, and we are believing, and here's what it is, that God only loves us when we behave. And we feel like, as long as I'm not doing anything bad, I can pray effective prayers. As long as I'm behaving I can pray effective prayers, but when I'm being an idiot, when I've sinned, I better not pray because God's not going to answer my prayers. And, And I don't know if you've ever felt that before, but I've felt that before. I've felt that before, and I sit down to pray for somebody. I sit down to pray for something, and I'm praying, and then from the back of my mind, I just hear this little voice, boy, it's too bad that you thought this earlier. It's too bad that you raised your voice earlier. It's too bad that you lost your temper earlier. Otherwise, you'd be able to pray about this. And that's not how God works at all. God doesn't just love you when you're behaving. God doesn't just listen to your prayers when you're behaving. God loves you. I don't know if you've ever felt that before. That's not how God works. He loves you. And here's my proof. This is Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Here's what Paul says. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves you and nothing you can do will ever change that. So that's that's the big picture. Let me bring it down to a practical level. Let me bring it down to a practical level. Tuesday, I was having lunch with Atticus and Adeline. Leah was at the school, right? And so I was having lunch with Atticus and Adeline, and, and I heated up some leftover pasta that we had had the night before. Atticus was disappointed. He would have rather had a hot dog. Right? That, that's what every three-year-old boy wants for everything. Right? Anyway, but he he wanted a hot dog, and he was disappointed. He was frustrated when I put down his plate of pasta in front of him and so he waited until Adeline needed a little bit of help with something and he snuck his plate to the trash can and threw it in not the best choice he's ever made right but here's what didn't happen I didn't love my son any less he didn't do the right thing but I didn't love him any less would I have wished that he would have sat down and ate his lunch absolutely but I did not love my son any less some of you need to hear that this morning. You're not doing the right thing, but that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Let me tell you the rest of the story. An hour later, he comes to me and says, Dad, can I have some candy? No, you may not. You may not have some candy. Let me tell you why because you didn't eat your lunch, you threw it away. We could have just put it in the fridge. Okay, and you would have had it later when you were ready for it. But no, you threw it away. You cannot have any candy. Go away. <laughs> hour after that, he comes back to me and he says, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have some pasta? You know what I said this time? Yes, you can. You know why? Because I will never deny my son something that he needs just because he didn't do what he should have. And maybe you need to hear that today too. That God will never deny you what you need just because you didn't do what you should have because he loves you. And that's it. So what's the greatest theological truth there is? That Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. So when you pray, realize that you are praying to a God who loves you. You're praying to a God who loves you and he will never deny you anything you need just because you didn't do what you should have. Now, he may not give you candy, but he'll never deny you what you need. He loves you. He loves you because you are his, not because of what you do. So devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind, with a thankful heart. Pray for us too. That God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Here's my fear. That when you see in verse 3, Paul says, pray for us too. You're going to say, well, see, Tony, verse 2 really is about us. Because in verse 3, he says, pray for us too. So verse 2 naturally means that's about me. me. Let me challenge your thinking. Let me challenge your thinking just a little bit. It doesn't take an alert mind to pray for yourself. It doesn't take an alert mind to pray for yourself. Why? Because you already know what you want. You already know what you need. It does take an alert mind to pray for somebody else. And Paul goes on to say, pray for us too. In what way? That God would give us the opportunities to speak about Jesus, and when we have those opportunities, that we would make the most of them. If you're looking for a good prayer to pray for church staff and leaders, I suggest Colossians 3 four verses three and four that we would have opportunities to speak about Jesus and that when those opportunities come we would make the most of them by the way if you're looking for a good prayer to pray over your small group to pray over your family to pray over yourself and your friends I suggest Colossians chapter four verses three and four that that we would have the opportunities to speak about Jesus and when those opportunities come we might make the most of them Here's why. And and I say this from my personal experience, I know Jesus has changed my life. I want the people in our community to experience Jesus changing theirs. I know the things that Jesus has done in my life. I know the things that He's rescued me from. And I want other people to experience that same thing. So just think to yourself, really quick, how many of you see a difference in your life, because of Jesus Christ? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to answer. If you want to raise your hand, that's fine. Dan was going to raise his hand. I'll single him out. How many of you, just just think about it in your mind, how many of you can, can recognize a difference that Jesus has made in your life? That's why our vision is communities changed by Christ. Because we know the change that Jesus has made in us and we want our community to experience the same thing all right so that's that's the first part if you're going to be the kind of person you'd want to be around don't make the conversation about you don't make the conversation about you here's the second part and it's really pretty obvious be kind to people right if you want to be the kind of person you'd want to be around be kind to people that's it. Just be kind to people. Here's, a, here's how Paul says it. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so they'll have the right resp- so that you will have the right response for everyone. Live wisely among the people around you that aren't believers. Albert Barnes has this great comment on this passage in his commentary. Here's what he says: Outsiders judge Christianity. Not from preaching, nor from books, nor from the conduct of its founder and his apostles, but from the way they see it in the daily walk and conversation of the members of the church. I put that quote in your notes this week. I found it very challenging and convicting. I hope you revisit that this week. Spend some time thinking about that. I think it's a powerful challenge and observation for each of us. Paul says, live wisely. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Listen, everybody knows what the church is against. Everybody knows what the church is against. We could walk out of here right now, go straight into a bar, and go up to the drunkest person we could find and say, hey, what's the church against? And you know what? They'd have an answer for us, wouldn't they? We'd go to IU. We could walk up to a college student who had never been to church a day in their life. We could ask them, what's the church against? And they'd have an answer. We could go anywhere right now and ask anybody that question, and they would have an answer for us. It's time that the world learns what the church is for. It's time the world learns what the church is for. Because we're for Jesus and we're for them because Jesus is for them because He went to incredible length to save everybody in the world while we were still sinners. So We're for them because Jesus is for them. And maybe, just maybe, if people started to learn what the church is for, they'd stop being so against it. Because the church is for them. Now I realize that there are plenty of things Plenty of things that the Bible calls sin. Plenty of things that are sin. Aspects of our character that need to be changed. Things that we do that we absolutely should not do. Things that will kill us if we don't kill it. Remember, if we do things in the wrong order, it causes problems. And I'll, I'll illustrate it this way. If we do things in the wrong order, it causes problems. I'm gonna illustrate it this way. Do you remember that time that Jesus had a meal with a sinner? Who was that again? Who was that again? I can't remember. Who who was it? That one time that Jesus had a meal with a sinner. Who was that? Zacchaeus. Okay. That that was it? Or was there somebody else? I don't I don't I didn't feel like it was Zacchaeus. Was there somebody else? Okay, so there was. Uh, Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector. There was these uh, prostitutes that he ate with. And and like all of these different people. In fact, these descriptions that we have of Jesus having meals with people is this, sinners and tax collectors. You know why? Because Jesus didn't allow a person's actions to color his reactions to them. And we can't either. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everybody. Let's talk about that last line. Have the right response for everyone. Let me explain this because I think we might misunderstand this. That doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden going to be really great at trivial pursuit. Okay? Have the right response for everyone. It doesn't mean you're going to be great at trivial pursuit. You should not go on Jeopardy. Okay? That's not what's going to happen. It doesn't mean if somebody comes up to you and asks, what's 12,649 times 2,406,207? Right? You're not going to be able to find the answer. You're not going to become a human calculator. It means that when it's time to talk about Jesus, you'll have something to say and the credibility to say it. You have something to say and the credibility to say it. It means that you'll be able to speak of God's redemption without your actions casting doubt on it. It means that you'll be able to talk about God's love without your words contradicting it. It means you'll have the right response. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says it this way, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Just be ready to explain it. I'm going to make a comment on this. This has come up a lot in our Saturday morning men's Bible study and several of the guys have said, "You know, I I think about my story. I think about my life as a Christian and it it just really seems kind of boring, kind of straightforward. I'm I'm not I'm not ashamed of my story. I just it doesn't seem like it'd be useful to anybody because I just went to church my whole life, and then at one point I got baptized, and I just kept coming to church, and, and my life's really been pretty normal, and I don't know, it just doesn't seem like my story makes a whole lot of sense, and maybe some of you are thinking that same thing today. You're going, I don't have a really great story, right? I didn't, I didn't encounter Jesus in the midst of incredible sin and see God's work of redemption moving through that. No, you know what your you know what your testimony is? That Christianity works. And if you just do it, if you come to church, if, if you learn to follow God and love God and devote yourself to him, you can save yourself a lot of heartache and pain and you can serve God, that Christianity works, that God actually knew what he was talking about. That's what your testimony is. See, Here's what what I need you to know. You shouldn't be ashamed of your story. My story doesn't go like that. Okay? And you've probably heard me talk about that. I made plenty of poor decisions. So my story doesn't go like yours. Okay? Um, But I'm not proud of my sin. I am proud of my Savior. And I, I don't think that you should be ashamed because your story isn't sensational because your story... Your story can be used to reach somebody. Your story can be used to reach somebody who's never done something incredibly sinful. Your story can can be used to reach somebody who's really lived a pretty normal, average life. And when you start talking about how your life has gone, that'll speak to them in a way that my story won't. In the same way that if you try to talk to a room full of drunks, my story will speak to them in a way that yours won't. So don't be ashamed of your spiritual journey because God can use that to reach somebody. So right now, right now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Your story, your life, as it exists right now, God has a plan for how your story can be used to point somebody to Christ. always be ready to share it because when you have the opportunity to share your story it will be the right response you know ever since i read that story about the couple from south africa i haven't been able to stop thinking about it mostly i've been thinking about the reporter and i can't help but think that you know there are a lot of christians in the world that they just delight in pointing out the things that other people are doing wrong or the things they think Other people are doing wrong. And I just got to tell you, I need you to know this. We will never be that kind of church. We will never be that kind of church. We will be the kind of church that comes alongside people and says, this is where you are. How can we help you from here? We'll never be a church that has perfection as a requirement for learning about Jesus who can save you from your sins. We want to be a church where everybody is comfortable with the fact that the conversation isn't about us. And we want to be a church that's comfortable being kind to everyone. Even people who don't live like us, think like us, act like us, or dress like us because that's what Jesus did and we are called by His name and according to His purpose. So church, be the kind of person you'd want to be around. Make sure the conversation isn't about you. and Make sure you're prepared to be kind. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your example. We're thankful for the the high calling that you have called us to. We know, we confess to you that we can't do it on our own, that we are imperfect, that we still sin and fall short of your glory, but we praise you that your mercy and your grace is new every day. And God, we pray that you would give each of us a heart that desires to minister to people who don't know you yet, that we would be willing to humble ourselves and serve people We would be willing to do unglamorous things for the joy of seeing people come to you. God, put that on all of our hearts every day. We beg this of you in Jesus' name. Amen.